0: Welcome to the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's only on the show because I promised I'd buy warplanes from him. His name <laughs> is Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. Hello. I mean, you don't
1: say it publicly. That oh. kind of gets away from the secrecy of it all.
0: Uh, do you get my topical reference?
1: I do. Yeah. Uh, so in that situation, what, I am Sarkozy or you are Sarkozy?
0: I don't know. One. I guess, uh, I guess I'm Cutter. Yeah. And I'm going to promise to buy warplanes so I guess you. I'm just France. I'm the nation of France. You're cool. if All you right. vote. Yeah. So go. if you don't know, uh, Michel Platini mm-hmm. was arrested today. Was he? Because this is the thing. Oh, detained. It, he was detained.
1: He was detained for questioning as a is witness, a, I believe. Is
0: that a rich people thing? Instead of getting arrested, you get detained for questioning?
1: I don't know, but I, I saw multiple people pointing out that it seemed to be a translation error, that the word that people were translating as arrested was more so detained, because mm-hmm. it could be detained for questioning as like a witness it could be detained for questioning because he is the suspect or what have you whatever yeah. terminology would be so i say that just to say he's my suspect don't get your hopes up and is also <laughs> the suspect of my heart yes
0: and just to clarify what we're saying the the rumor i guess mm-hmm. it's a rumor right is that when the world cup bidding was happening to who would host the 2022 world cup mm-hmm. platini was leaning u.s uh, but uh sarkozy um took him aside and kind of said well, if you vote for Qatar, then they've promised they might buy military equipment from us mm-hmm. and that would be good for the French economy, yep. right? So that might be what ha- that might be one of the ways Cutter got the 2022 World Cup. One of the many. You know, as yes. I said might be because I don't want any legal trouble. Allegedly, yes, <laughs> yes,
1: uh, yes. So, commiserations to Michelle Platini. I hope he's really? not having a miserable time <laughs> and isn't being, uh, you know, kept away from friends and family in the light of day. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. hope that
0: because he didn't sell us all out. No, definitely yeah. not.
1: Definitely not. Thousands of people haven't died because of the uh, the bribery, inclusion and, and all Oof. that good stuff.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it wasn't all corruption news today. Allegedly, uh, there was some actual signs. There was. There was some actual soccer. It wasn't even legend. It, it wasn't was, even. It was real soccer. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two Women's World Cup games to talk about. It was the Group C finale, Italy v. Brazil and Australia v. Jamaica. There were goals in both, most of them scored by Sam Kerr. Yes. Statistically, she scored most of the goals. There. Yes, at least 80%. Uh, and then later, we're mm-hmm. going to be catching up. On the Copa America. Mm -hmm. The first match that has happened, right? Everybody's played a group stage game. And we have a guest, Felipe Mm Cardenas, who knows a lot more than we do about those games. He's very invested in the Copa America. Mm -hmm. Um, And Taylor has an interview with Felipe um, in part two of today's show I've been told by a trusted source that it's a very very good interview it is trusted uh, source may have been biased but I've been told it's a very slightly. good interview
1: I would also say yeah I, I did the interview Daryl hasn't heard it yet so Daryl saying he knows a lot more than we do Felipe I would uh, amend that to a lot 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 more than we do
0: <laughs> I've met Felipe and I, I suspect
1: that's true the man has knowledge the, the man, man has knowledge,
0: knowledge. alright shall we start with our women's world cup uh, recap I suppose we should how about we start with Italy Brazil alright um, okay so going into this in group C mm-hmm. um, Italy were leading, they yep. were top of the group to begin the day, but Brazil beat them 1-0. That is true. Thus securing third place in the group yep. for Brazil, which maybe wasn't what they planned at the start of this. I would say probably not, but uh, also
1: given their record coming into this competition or the like lack thereof in terms of not getting any sort of positive results, I think maybe the fact that they were able to advance at all, yeah. they'll probably take,
0: <laughs> they'll be okay with. <laughs> so they're in third place with six points, mm-hmm. but third place with six points probably makes them the best third place team mm-hmm. In this whole tournament, so they're definitely going through, right? Yes, one hundred percent. Even if not mathematically, we're really confident. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> okay, should we talk about the goal they scored? Sure. So yeah, it was a it was a martyr penalty. Mm-hmm. We'll maybe talk about the um, statistical significance of that penalty later on. It was actually quite a good move. The way they won that pen- this penalty was a, a really really good bit of soccer. Fair mm-hmm. right to say?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because it's it's good, quick combinations, but then it's also kind of intense. A, an intense driving run from Dabinha that yeah. causes massive problems here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's maybe also a little bit of positional naivete from Italy as well. Yeah,
0: so we've been praising Italy, right? We mm-hmm. so were really impressed with their last game um, against Jamaica, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we saw some weaknesses here. Yes. So what happens is the left back, it's a, Brazil are building possession. Tamir, the ball goes out to Tamires, Monica plays it out mm-hmm. to Tamires. Tamires looks down the line and hits Marta, right? Good low ball into Marta. And Marta's able to take one touch and lay it into the path of Dabinha to mm-hmm. kind of run at at goal or at the penalty area, essentially. The problem there is Dabinha's supposed to be marked mm-hmm. by Guanyi. Ye, yeah. And Guanyi Ye does a really bad job of tracking Dabinha. It doesn't. What happened? Why does she lose her?
1: It-, it is somehow the most inexplicable thing about this day, and that's including the Jamaican <laughs> goalkeeper forgetting to pass the ball for the yeah. fourth goal for Australia. Uh, and all I can figure is that she gets so focused on. Marta and Marta having the ball yeah. that Guan just sort of like gravitates towards that and completely loses track of her mark because it's not even a sort of subtle like oh I'll slide over and try to help but i yeah. still pay attention to my to my mark it's not even a I'll go double team it's just more of a like oh the ball's been played in there I'll sort of do that half jog half skip towards it oh no, the person I'm supposed to be uh, tracking is now wide open and driving forward with yeah, the ball. Yeah,
0: I can see her name and her number because she's running away from me. Yeah, never a good
1: thing. Never a good <laughs> thing.
0: And if you haven't seen this, to picture it, Dabinia and Guani are basically on the touchline when mm-hmm. this move starts. Marta's slightly inside of them, right? And then Dabinia makes the interior run and Guani yep. stays outside she does. for way, way too long. She
1: ends up picking up Marta in a way that I... like. We've, we joke about this sometimes. about, like, if I can get to a person who isn't the one who's on the ball, it won't be my fault because... When... <laughs> it won't be in the picture? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or I'll be marking somebody.
0: Well, the person who's going to get the blame for it... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the blame goes to Dubinia for a yeah. magnificent dribble. Mm-hmm. It's Lennari. I would say
1: credit goes to Dubinia. Credit,
0: you're right, yeah. <laughs> well, it depends if you're... Yeah, I, I suppose Brazilian. that's true, yeah. Um, it's Lenari mm-hmm. who absolutely 100% fouls Dabinia in the box, sure? right? I mean, the commentary team weren't yeah. sure, but yeah, Lenari I think, the, was it Kat Whitehall said that I think so. she liked that Lenari stepped between the ball mm-hmm. and Dabinha?
1: And that's also, not what
0: she did, right? She stepped into Dabinha after Dabinha had started dribbling the I mean, ball. Yeah. You can't do that.
1: I mean, she, she, she does do what was described. It's just she does it and then stops. Yeah. So she's no longer making a play on the ball, and she's also obstructing the run yeah, of an opponent. She's making a play on the player. And also just clearly bodies her, not even off the ball, but just bodies her as the ball rolls yep. away. Um, I, I do think that it's a credit to Brazil and it's a credit to uh, Beatriz the other forward for Brazil. Yes. she come on
0: for Cristiane, right? Had, yeah. Yes,
1: and the run she makes that is basically once Dabinia starts driving when she gets the return pass from Marta, uh, Beatriz makes a kind of diagonal run away. So it's it's continuing to show in that she's like opening up in case that ball comes in. Yeah. But it's also pulling away Lenare, and that's why Lenare then when she goes back across I think has to kind of make a desperation tackle because yeah. suddenly uh, the situation is quite vulnerable.
0: So I guess she's origi- originally hoping that Gama has sent about partner yeah. who was originally marking Marta and actually stands Marta up, right? But Marta- to the layoff Mart- uh, Gama's mm-hmm. tracking or chasing Dabinia yeah. I think when Lenari realizes that Gama's not going to get there yeah. then she has to switch track uh, and come back and Yeah, right? because but that's
1: that's why it ends up being Guanyi on Marta and then Gama trying to get yeah, back so to cover Dabinia everything
0: yeah. switches on right mm-hmm. and if you watch this play it's the reason that Beatrice run that you pinpointed is so important is you can see Dabinia making a sort of it's like a diagonal run she switches track and it exploits that space that yep. Lanari's been moved out of and goes towards goal yep. right because of Beatrice mm-hmm. who won't get in a, there should be some sort of with statistical We've talked about this before for yeah. a great run that distracts everyone. Or if you
1: earn the penalty, you should get the assist yeah. as well. Yeah. If you don't get to take it, absolutely. Which Davinia does not.
0: Before we talk about the penalty, I also mm. just want to talk about um, Italy's centre back partnership. I'd mentioned before that the best way Italy defend is Lenari goes mm. high in challenges. Gama is like the sweeper-upper, right? She just anything that comes through, she t- absolutely takes care of it. This time it had been reversed, right? Yep. Gama was out high with Marta, and Lenari was deep, and I think that's why you're better off with Gama. I think she's a bit cleaner, and she wouldn't have done. Quite what Lenari did, probably not. Maybe yeah. not. Who's to say?
1: Uh, but it doesn't really matter because she poop. ends up not being in a position to do so. So it is Lenari. It is a penalty. We both agree. Up steps uh, Marta. Up steps Marta, and it's and it's exactly what we would expect a Marta penalty to be: calm, cool, collected. Bottom corner, well struck.
0: Didn't have a bit of disguise on it as well. Was she, like her hips were mm-hmm. like, I'm definitely going to the left, but then yeah. she swivels at the last second and goes to the right. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's and it's it, it is really well struck with that in mind because it does throw the keeper the wrong way, but it also is like side netting on the ground with and pace behind it that's always going to be very difficult for a goalkeeper it's to get to pretty good right yep, yep, as Larry yep. David mm-hmm. would say and then you um, get the double celebration you get the kind of old school uh, rocking the cradle yeah, celebration Bebeto Bebeto right. yeah, yeah. to Bebeto and yeah. I think Romario from like um, 95- Four? Yeah, it's the yeah. one. Uh, yes, I'm assuming somebody just had a baby, or maybe one <laughs> of their teammates who's not there just had a baby. Yeah, exactly. uh, I, I, yes. And then the secondary one would be the pointing to the boot, which we didn't talk about last time. Oh yeah, yeah, Marcia's uh, boot. Yeah, yeah. We are, we kind of saw the tweets about it afterwards, but I guess she decided not like her shoe sponsorship or her contract with I forget whomever it was expired. She chose not to renew it so that she could have like her own logo put on yeah. the shoe, which is the I think the flag of equality. Is yes. that correct. Or the symbol for equality. Symbol for equality. Yeah, yes. I actually don't
0: know, but I think it's a symbol. So that's why an oh, equal sign right would be my guess I think so
1: Yeah. Uh, so you see her pointing to that in the celebration as well yes. so uh, well, world, well done to her for two good celebrations and a well taken penalty
0: and for being mm-hmm. the all time world cup top scorer and that men or women she surpasses mm-hmm. Miroslav Klose she now has 17 world cup goals that's the most any player has ever scored at world cups Miroslav Klose has
1: to come out of retirement now I otherwise it's does. Martha's forever
0: <laughs> I mean I wouldn't rule it out nor would I nor would I <laughs>
1: All right, so it finishes... Carly Lloyd, we'll see what she does with the rest of the tournament. Yeah,
0: it finishes 1-0 to Brazil. Mm -hmm. Um, In the other game, Australia, to quote Rob Stone on Fox, dropped a hand bone on Mm. Jamaica. That they did. Australia for... I'm choosing to believe that he... Hadn't used that term, and maybe
1: listen to the show when we mentioned Hambo. Do you
0: think it's possible? Right,
1: it's possible, but unlikely, since unlikely. it is just his term that he probably likes to throw around.
0: Yeah, true. yeah. I guess any time there's four, maybe he hasn't had the chance before. Maybe, yeah. um, but probably he, us. Did he say when France beat Korea four? No, I'm not sure he did. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. All right, so yeah, Australia four, Jamaica mm. one, or Sam Kerr four, yeah, Jamaica one. Sam Kerr scored all four goals. Mm-hmm. She's now level with Alex Morgan as top scorer in this tournament. With yeah,
1: five. yeah, she, yeah. It, it's back on. The race is back, back on. on. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Suddenly, Alex Morgan matched. maybe less back less on. than thrilled about not. Uh, Playing against yeah. Chile.
0: Um, it's hard to say if Sam Kerr was thrilled about scoring her goals. <laughs> she yes. She keeps that very serious face even after she scored.
1: She does. She yeah. does. Sorry, the pause there for me was realizing that Sam Kerr had scored five goals after. Th- playing in three games uh-huh. and Alex Morgan has scored five goals after playing in one game. Yep. That's kind of absurd. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, she definitely did not seem to celebrate as emphatically as say Martha did, the, mm-hmm. the double celebration. Uh, and I wonder if that was her maybe being aware that they needed to do a bit more to secure right. their like kind of safe spot as number two.
0: Because goal difference is what mm-hmm. they needed to make sure that they finished yep. second um, ahead of Brazil. Yeah, actually Sam Kerr's uh, non-celebration very much had mm-hmm. the look of let's get back to work yes. about it which is kind of how I think of Samka. like let's get back to work
1: it's also yeah. what it's also the shark need. Eyes. what you need <laughs> a little bit against with the shark eyes against no disrespect but maybe I guess a little bit of unintentional disrespect against a team like Jamaica who yeah. have conceded goals oh, we'll who aren't going to be getting a point
0: we'll get into their defending it yeah. wasn't great
1: no but uh, yeah so I think that there's an element there of like if you are playing against a team this is not shade thrown at the US women's national team I promise but there is something to be said for like if you're trying to kind of round into peak form for the knockout round you don't necessarily go over the top of your celebrations scoring against Jamaica yeah. in this situation.
0: And it's just not like oh job done we beat them it's yeah, exactly. more like let's keep
1: going. That's what I'm saying right? yeah you want to keep, keep you want to keep like the pedal to the metal so that you don't because that is a thing if you start to let up and then it can be difficult to get back into it and then maybe also you're not at like tip top efficiency when you yeah, go into yeah. the knockout round whereas if you're firing on all cylinders at the end of this game Maybe you're a little bit more up for it when it comes to the elimination.
0: I'll say this: we know Impossible what Australia, we know what Australia's plan is. Mm-hmm. Australia's plan is cross the ball to Sam Kerr. Yes. Cross the ball to Sam Kerr, and in this in this game, you saw the results of that. Right, yeah. three of the goals are crossing the ball to Sam Kerr. The rest of their attacking moves were let's cross the ball to Sam Kerr.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yes. So that is probably what they were trying to do. That was definitely the game plan, get to Sam Kerr. And with that in mind, I don't know if we need to go through like each goal in a lot of detail because I do okay. think some were more so Australia doing things and like pulling Jamaica out of position. And then some. the last two were more so Australia being fortunate and Jamaica kind of gifting Australia some chances.
0: I think that's fair. And the first two goals, so mm-hmm. Sam Kerr scores two in the first half. Yep. The thing they have in common is her technique with the headers yep. are perfect in mm-hmm. both cases right mm-hmm. like absolutely perfect she is targeting exactly where she wants to target as she meets the ball in the air so credit to sam kerr the other thing both of these first two goals have in common is sam kerr's movements. Mm-hmm. right she really does find space between jamaican defenders the first goal it's uh, between the line of defense and midfield yep. the second goal it's between the two center backs but i would argue that a lot of that is also jamaica's fault
1: yes i mean yeah for the first one especially blackwood uh and others, uh, fail to really step forward aggressively when the ball is more or less cleared. Yeah. Um,
0: and I it, think... It's sort of laid back from deep in the left wing by Davana yeah. all the way back to... I've forgotten who crossed it, Gjelnik. Mm-hmm. Like, so the cross comes from deep. But in that moment is when Jamaica should have stepped out, yeah. and they kind of did it. Mm-hmm. We even paused it, and they had a line, but it was diagonal. It was
1: definitely diagonal. <laughs> yes, not quite what you're it looking was for. was straight
0: line, but it was diagonal. Yeah,
1: not <laughs> the best offside line. Um, and I think it also is like... It exemplifies what Sam Kerr brings and why she's so dangerous yeah. because she... Because the deepest defender, Blackwood, is the furthest defender from Sam Kerr. Yeah, she's left back, right? She moves away, Sam Kerr does, away from Blackwood towards the ball being played in. So then it makes it that much harder to defend her because now if you're one of the center backs, you see her and you think, like, oh, we've kept the line. She's trying to move away from us because this has all worked really well. But in actuality, Mm -hmm. she's getting away because she knows she's going to be onside when that ball is played in. And she is. And now she's very wide open. But you're absolutely right, though, that the direction of the header and the awareness to just kind of Put it in near post, over the goalkeeper, high enough that no one's ever going to be able to get is, to is it. it. Essentially,
0: lobbing the keeper, yeah, basically with her head. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so perfect. It's really, really well yeah. done. Yeah.
0: Oh, and also the thing. Obviously, people know this about Sam Kerr, but it's worth highlighting. Both goals, just her movements. Lots of constant little yep. movements to always be in the optimum place. Yeah, right? I would yeah. agree
1: with that. Um, and I would say it's also the case for most of Australia in the second goal that it's a lot of good individual pieces of movement or bits of movement yeah. like kind of finding space finding gaps causing problems for Jamaica
0: or is it just bad Jamaican marking because
1: maybe like, both so Van Egemen, things can be two things Van Eggman
0: receives the throw yeah. with zero pressure on yep. it she's able to give it to Gory, who mm-hmm. is between the lines on the right who can literally receive the ball turn and cross it to Sam Kerr with zero pressure on yes. it yes Sam Kerr heads the ball. She and she is between two defense. I think she's between the right back and mm-hmm. the center back. And there's a couple yards either side, yep. right? No one is marking Sam Kerr as she bangs in this second header with sort of a, a flick of the neck. Yeah, if anything,
1: know? no one's marking her because Swaybee, the center back, has gone to mark Lagarzo for yeah, some reason. It's like
0: a last second decision of, oh, she's open, I'll go mark her. But you left Sam Kerr.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which I, I really like to, I know this isn't the case, but I really like to think in that, like, tenth of a second was looking at Sam Kerr and being like, "Ah, it's Sam Kerr, she's probably going to score this header. I'll go mark the other person who's wide open, and then it will look like I'm just trying to do something.
0: How wide is this camera shot? (laughs) I reckon I can get out of it.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Swaby definitely helps. And that is, I think you're probably right, that it genuinely is probably both things here. It's Jamaica Mm -hmm. not being very sharp in possession, and then it's Australia capitalizing upon that. Oh,
0: speaking of possession, mm -hmm. um, doesn't this goal start with Swaby, I think? tries to clear but just kind of spoons it up in the air and then a centre-back partner plumber rescues it for getting it for a corner kick and then clears it like straight to trouble and it ends up with it being an Australian throat. Well she's trying to find a pass.
1: Uh, yeah. she's, she's trying to find like a pass to her teammate but yeah. basically it's a 20 well, yard pass. Yeah. close
0: to Bunny Shaw right but it comes off Bunny Shaw and goes out. Yeah but it's Bunny yeah. Shaw
1: having to check back with a defender on her back so yeah. it's like even then it's sort of playing a teammate into pressure it's probably not going to lead to good things especially with them running at your own goal Yeah, and it eventually is Jamaica coughing the ball up.
0: Oh and Jamaica do mm. pull one back at the start of the second half we'll maybe touch on that later because I want to focus on bad Jamaican defending yeah. unfortunately because well, I don't think we need to go into detail on this, but the third goal, obviously Sam Kerr mm-hmm. again, is all about bad Jamaican defending. Yeah. Is this is one where Razo just dribbles and basically she makes loads of mistakes, but still gets away with I it. I mean,
1: it's not just her; it's a it's a ball, f- it's a bad ball from I think believe Van Egmond. Yes, uh, to started, the there's yeah. basically four different mistakes from Australia, but. It, the ball ends up going back to them, or there's not enough pressure for Jamaica to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and then it ends up with, uh, yeah, with Rosso basically just driving past Plummer. And I think even then, tries to drive the ball in for Sam Kerr, doesn't find Sam Kerr. Instead, it hits Campbell. Campbell isn't able to, like, settle the ball at all. She tries She's to like take it with her up thigh. thigh, and it just goes right back she to Sam She thighs
0: Kerr. it straight back to Sam Kerr yeah. at the top of the six yard box. Who very
1: calmly settles it and passes it in the goal. Yeah. And I to think her.
0: It really highlights the difference, I mean, honestly, yeah. between Jamaica and Australia is mm-hmm. the calmness of Sam Kerr as she just brings this ball down slides it into the mm-hmm. net yeah very uh, and
1: then yeah the fourth goal McClure the goalkeeper uh, with a very bad mistake we think maybe she's, she's receiving a back pass from Plummer we think maybe she was looking for Swaby and then realizes that uh, Caitlin Ford who subbed on for Australia is applying light pressure and I think there's just a moment of indecision from McClure and in that ind- indecision the ball gets away so when she tries to make a pass she ends up kind of swifting it mostly a miss yeah right? she exactly she the
0: top of it maybe mm-hmm. and to, to Sam Kerr's credit it's not like the ball just rolls to her and she taps it in Sam Kerr sees a mistake Taken. pounces bounces, and yeah. finishes. It's not just like a poke. Yeah.
1: It's like she gets through an in steps like it with a her left and foot. tackle a shot at the same yeah. time. It's impressive yeah. and necessary. You pointed this out because uh, for them to overtake uh, Brazil, Brazil yeah, on yeah. goal difference, they needed this goal because, it's yeah. worth noting, Jamaica had pulled a goal back. And yes, we should talk about that had. as well.
0: Um, okay, yeah. So Jamaica's goal, their mm-hmm. first ever goal at the World Cup. They celebrated sort of magnificently. Yeah. Almost had me, uh, there was a tear that threatened to come out of my eye. Oh, yeah? But it went back in like for, for whatever reason, yeah. Um, it is scored by um, Havana, Solan Mm -hmm. uh, what she's American Cuban and Jamaican but she chose to represent uh, Jamaica Mm -hmm. recently Like only recently caught up Um, the interesting thing is she's been pretty good this tournament she was dropped for this game Mm -hmm. she came on at half time and the reason she was dropped I think is that Bunny Shore had been playing up top she's obviously the star striker of Jamaica right and just hadn't been seeing the ball so she's come back and played attacking midfield this game Mm -hmm. which is Solan's spot so Solan's dropped back in at half time and then you get a Bunny Shore Havana Solan link up for Jamaica's first ever World Cup goal.
1: But the confusing thing about this is that it's still, though, sort of if you look at the way this kind of goal comes about, it is Bunny Shaw almost operating to number 10.
0: Yeah, I think, well, she'd, I think she'd seen the opportunity to come challenge deeper for a ball. It's Van mm. Egmond, actually, who yep. maybe didn't have her best day today. Maybe she's not. She's normally very impressive. Van Egmond, it's not even a 50-50. I think she has control. She does. Bunny Shaw does what the Comet Bar-Cat Whitehall maybe thought Lenari was doing. Yep. She steps between Van Egmond and the ball. Because Bunny Shaw's big, right? Without fouling Van Eggman. I mean, she.
1: Used, I, th- I think it's more hip to hip as well, which yeah. is a big difference between that and the uh, initial penalty yeah. for or the, the only penalty leg yeah. to leg. That yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's but so it's one of those where you can see Australia like a couple players half call for a foul, but yeah, no yeah. one really is like that's an obvious foul because Bunny Shaw just gets good position and uses her physicality to be yep. able to knock it's just Van one, Eggman off the ball.
0: One player is stronger than the other and knew how to use her strength to insert mm-hmm. herself in a way that wins the ball. Yeah,
1: but we also talk about everything else Bunny Shaw has and why she's such a highly touted player uh, and very exciting player to watch and this is it because not only does she drop back and do the defensive work and again use her strength to knock Van Egmond off the ball but then it's the ability to turn drive uh, at Australia in a way that maybe other Jamaican players were not as inclined to do yeah. and then still find a way to play a good ball in for uh, Solan. I yeah. think it, it showcases Bunny Shaw's all around kind of comprehensive uh, abilities.
0: And this pass is pretty perfect right? Oh, it's yeah? like between either two centre backs or between the centre back and the right back mm-hmm. and it is weighted in such a way that it's perfect for yeah. Havana Salon mm-hmm. to receive.
1: And it also kind of uh, baits uh, uh, Liddy Williams. I think it is yeah. coming off of her line. So even then it's like that much well hit as well that it pulls the goalkeeper out but also isn't close enough that the goalkeeper can easily take it.
0: Yeah, okay. So Salon what, takes one touch around the keeper mm-hmm. then left-footed puts it sort of into the f- inside the far post yeah. in a way that throws off the Australian defenders. Mm-hmm. You and I disagree on whether this is deliberate or not, right? Yes. I think she was going for this. You think maybe she miss it. Mm-hmm.
1: That is correct, yeah,
0: okay <laughs> just worth noting that we yeah have I mean I think
1: there. when when she hits it for it to go the way it does, which is like between the two defenders, one of whom overruns it and one of whom can't get to it, yeah I've, that is not a gap that is there when she strikes this ball, so yeah, okay. I'm inclined to say she maybe hits it further back with of her instep than she expected to, so it just kind of doesn't have the quite the trajectory that maybe was intentional.
0: I'll tell you what when they write the history mm-hmm. of the Jamaican women's national team, it won't matter. Because Havana Salam will have scored the first ever World Cup goal for Jamaica, yep. and they all count. They certainly yeah. do. Beautiful. Okay, so four-one uh, to Australia, and just everyone knows they finished level on Brazil with goal difference, but more goals scored. Mm-hmm. That's why Australia are in second place. Italy, despite losing today, top of the group. Top of the group because of their superior goal.
1: Not difference. a lot of. Not a thing. A lot of people saw coming. I think not at mm. all.
0: Not at all. All right. So tomorrow we wrap up Group D. It's England Japan. It's Argentina-Scotland. Um, what else have we got tomorrow? Is that just the one game? Just the two games? Yeah, just, just Group D tomorrow. Uh, I'm talking to myself. Mm-hmm. Japan-England and Scotland-Argentina. Uh, we'll have reviews of, of those games, of England's glorious victory over Japan on tomorrow's Sounds show. Sounds good. Before we talk to, or before you talk to, Felipe Cardenas, today's show is sponsored by fbref.com, mm-hmm. the football reference people. That's right. The Football Reference People,
1: FB Ref, has uh, all the stats for many different competitions, very much including the Women's World Cup. So you can go there, you can get stats on the individual teams, on the individual players, on who's doing the best in the tournament right now in terms mm-hmm. of points and goals scored and all that good stuff. I have some individual numbers for you from the group that we've just discussed, if you want it. So. Yeah. yeah uh, in terms of, like, kind of... Top performers in relation to minutes. Uh, Gielnik, who we've uh, talked about. Australian winger, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Two assists in 131 minutes, so she's averaging one assist every 66 minutes. Not bad. Not to be outdone. Marta, uh, uh, goal and assist every 65 minutes, so she gets a goal and an assist.
0: Her her minutes have been Uh, limited.
1: Only 129. The one that I think is probably not going to continue but is interesting to me is that Italy either do not score in their games or have... A player who gets multiple goals. Because in their first game, uh, Boronacea gets a brace. Yep. Then in the second game, uh, I think it was Jarelli gets a hat trick. Yeah. And uh, Gali gets a brace. And then today, they fail to score. So Italy either score <laughs> yeah. multiple or don't score.
0: So ev- today, everyone gets nothing. Exactly. <laughs> right, I've got a stat for you. but it's kind, you of, it's kind of a quiz, and it's almost a trick question. Mm-hmm. Which player is leading in terms of goals per minutes? Oh, it's probably... Go- sorry, goals per 90 minutes. It's the same stat, basically. Either way, which player is leading in terms of goals per minutes? Okay. Is that the same thing? Or did they have to have played 90 minutes? Well, they're two different numbers, but uh-huh. they ultimately lead to the same person because it's both going to be the biggest number.
1: I mean, I'm assuming it's... I'm just going to go with uh, it's either
0: Galley or it's Alex Morgan. It's definitely Alex Morgan. Because she scored five in 90? Yes. You would think so, right? uh uh-huh. But it turns out to be Lana Cleland. Uh-huh. Because when she scored against... Uh, who did Cleland score against for Scotland? Um, I can't remember. Um, oh, oh
1: only, against Japan. Was it against yeah. Japan?
0: She's only been on the field 14 minutes, ah, yeah, so she's that, averaging confusing thing. one goal every 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or in terms of per 90, mm-hmm. um, 6.43 goals per 90 minutes. Yes. So maybe Scotland should start her, and they'd win every game six something.
1: I'm sure that's how, that's it how works. stats work. Yes, right? totally, totally, and doesn't at all betray the confusing and
0: oftentimes difficult nature of statistics. <laughs> I've got a more uh, pure mm-hmm. stat for you then assist leaders we have um, a tie for assist leaders in this tournament you're welcome to guess or i'll just tell you i don't want to put you on the spot if you don't want to be it's a tie between alex morgan Mm -hmm. she got three assists in that game she scored five Mm -hmm. goals and manuela giuliano uh the italian midfielder who put in those beautiful crosses uh um, in the second mm-hmm. group stage game. She also has three assists. So we have a tie at the top for assists, three each for Giuliano and Alex Morgan. That'll do it. All well right. done to
1: both of them. Well done to FB Ref for having all of that information. Yep. One more time. That's F B R E F Com.
0: Yep, and you can also subscribe to their newsletter, StatHead, and the link is at fbref.com, and every day you get World Cup stats delivered to your inbox. All
1: right, there we are. So thank you to FB Ref for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show, and now we'll turn it over to me talking to Felipe Cardenas about the Copa America thus far. When we recorded this uh, uh, Tuesday earlier today, Tuesday afternoon, it was I think after everybody had played, every team had played one game, had not yet kicked off with the kind of second game for a couple of the teams. So it's a match
0: day one review. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There it is. Let's do
0: it Here's Taylor and Felipe Cardenas
1: with me now I've got uh, our friend and yours Mr. Felipe Cardenas of the athletic Felipe thank you very much for taking time away from it sounds like your vacation to talk to me about the Copa America
2: yeah I'm, I'm in Puerto Rico I'm in San Juan but we're leaving today so my vacation's over so now um, it's all good this is the best time to catch me
1: all right that, that's good to know I appreciate that I hope your family agrees <laughs> and so you've got Copa America and then you're also going to be covering L3 correct
2: Right. So I'll, I'm heading back to Atlanta and then I'll be in Denver on Wednesday night for uh, Mexico's game against Canada, which is probably the biggest, you know, the biggest group match, one of the bigger group matches of, you know, the first, the first phase of the gold cup, definitely in group a. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll be covering Mexico throughout uh gold cup for the athletic soccer.
1: Uh, but until then, you've been, I'm assuming paying particular attention to the Copa America so far. Uh, so that's what we wanted to talk to you about. We've been a little preoccupied with the Women's World Cup, the start of the Gold Cup. We have not yet uh, turned our attention to the Copa America, but I know you have. So I was hoping to pick your brain if that works for you.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Of course. I mean, Copa America for me, it's its, it's funny that you say like I was on vacation. I could not unplug completely because of Copa America. <laughs> I was watching it, very interested. It's the the one tournament that's always been part of my life as a soccer fan. So So, yeah. Uh, and I'm Happy I'm, to talk about it. I'm guessing I know
1: the answer to this, but I'm wondering what's been your favorite game so far.
2: I mean, come on! Like, I yeah. I, I didn't sleep the night before Colombia Argentina. <laughs> I I was panicking because even though I felt really good about about Colombia um, and, and and just you know kind of catching Argentina in the, in, in this kind of new phase that they're in. Uh, you're still having to face Leo Messi, and and that will keep you up at night. And uh, it, again, Colombia hadn't beaten Argentina since 2007. Uh, there had been several close games in World Cup qualifiers and then Copa America, where where Colombia was really close, and it just took like a moment of magic from Messi to kind of kill off a game. And so that that's always possible when you play against Argentina and 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 the alien that we know is. The number ten, you know. So um, it was it was a great game as a fan for me for Colombia. But uh, like I said before, and I'm sure we'll get into it, it, was there was a lot of there were a lot of tactics going on in that match.
1: Yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to ask
2: you, like if it's
1: possible, because you know you're an actual journalist compared to me and Daryl, who sit in an office and talk about <laughs> stuff. Um, I'm, it's like if you put your your take off your fandom cap for a minute, put on like the journalism cap. I'm wondering how you would sort of explain what happened in that game, Argentina getting the 2-0 win. And so I kind of want to hear the objective version, and then I also want to hear after that the Phantom Hat back on why you think Columbia pulled off that win.
2: Yeah, I, you know, like I said before, I felt like it would be really tactical in, in the, especially in the first half, the first 2015, because I felt like. Under under Carlos Catos, the new manager for, for Colombia, who a lot of people remember him for just failing at Real Madrid, uh, but recent history has been you know, he's done very well with Iran yeah. uh, in, in Asia, and, and they, they've shown well in, in World Cups. and you know, the last World Cup, they didn't advance, but they played every team in that group of deaths really tough. You know, yep. they almost... You know, they they were very close, you know, head you know, head to head against Spain against Portugal. And what what I was what I liked about that when I went back and looked at some of those games is that his teams were just really brave, very vertical, uh, but everyone defended. And and it sounds so elementary in in in, in, in soccer in general, especially in, in, in modern day soccer and modern tactics. But uh, the the attackers are 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 all dual performing players. And everyone has a role. And so I, I felt good about Colombia thinking, hey, they can probably come at, at, at Argentina. They have taste, they have verticality, and they have a, a a cradle of players and a generation of players that are all, you know, bred in Europe. And and what K- kidoso is going to do and what he's done is kind of – it's an evolution of what Jose Peckerman did with, with Colombia from 2014 to 2018. And he kind of is putting a stamp on it by making the team a little bit more aggressive. And so it, it's, it's mental as well. And knowing that you're facing Argentina, the team that you haven't beaten since 07, but thinking that, you know, you, you could, you can be the protagonist. So I think that's what he did. It was, it was very much a tactical battle in midfield where I think Catos felt, if we can obviously limit any type of service to, Argentina's front three, which is Aguero, Di Maria, and Messi, which will scare any any defense, any coach.
0: Yeah, a
2: little bit, um, it, yeah, right. So, but but it, I think it sounds really simple, but just like if you limit any any type of service to them, you're going to have you know you're going to do pretty well. And so that's what that's what you saw. He had an extra midfielder, which in this case was Juan Cuadrado, which you know he's a winger. You know he's he's always been kind of an up and down flank player and now he had him kind of in this dual role which I don't want to say it's the same thing that like Halter wants Tyler Adams to do but it is it's kind of like an advancement of that position so instead of the, the right fullback drifting to the middle you have a you have a right midfielder who can play on the wing but can pinch in and drift in and provide support in the midfield and so that's what Cuadrado was doing and it always was as if they had an extra man in the middle to kind of harass Uh, Argentina's two central midfielders and Paredes and, and Guido uh, Rodriguez who were supposed to kind of build play from the back and they just weren't able to in the first, the first half. And so what you saw was a guy, you had Otamendi, Nicolás Itamendi who's a man city pep, you know, defender that Cato said it was as if he told his players anytime Otamendi has the ball, Either press him or let him play out of the back, and so you saw this this kind of like half counter press from from Colombia, where none of their midfielders could, could get on the ball, and the only ball that was was available for Otamendi was kind of to lump it up the field, which would just kind of you know Mina and Davison Sanchez would just eat that up, or uh, you know Otamendi was just kind of pumping it out of bounds. So in the first half, it was you could see what was going on. It was a midfield you know, kind of a diamond for Colombia that just kind of harassed and pressed and recovered. And when they had the opportunity, they would counter. And 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 so that was the first 45 minutes of play. And I think that continued throughout the match, even though Argentina really kind of, they changed their tactics at halftime. I and mean, you could say, you could see that Scaloni told his players, okay, we're giving them too much time on the ball. You could see Mina and Davinson in, their, in, in Argentina's half building play. And so they changed up and pressed a little bit. And in the second half, it, you know, Argentina really took over, over you know, took over the game. And then in the 70th minute, the first goal from Colombia came, and it just like demoralized them. And Messi said after the game that you know their first goal came when we were playing our best football. So it, it was one of those things where Colombia stuck to their plan regardless, even when they lost possession and kind of lost control of the game. They just focused on shutting down the middle, shutting down Messi. Um, and, and playing wide, you know, mm-hmm. something that's very different is are these diagonal balls that you seen them on Twitter. You saw James's, you know, amazing ball to find Roger Martinez, but that those balls were on all day. And so something that I read today and I'll end with this is that, you know, I was reading an article about Carlos Queiroz that this guy has a master's in, in football methodology. Oh yeah. I forgot okay. about that. Yeah. 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 And so it's a fascinating interview that he gave with Pais in Spain last year where he talks about like the the three core elements of his teaching of, of of soccer and it all begins in practice but it's basically spacing timing and numerical advantages and so it was fascinating to watch that because that's exactly what Colombia did to Argentina. You know, they, they reduced space or they played with space and they open up the field and it always seemed like they had an extra man either in the middle or just alone on a flank. And so, you know, it, it sounds really elementary, but it all, at the same time it's kind of like this, he's an, he's an intellectual type of coach. And I think he will, he knows that he has a core of players that are European based and are kind of in the European way of of training, and he's taking, He, I think, he'll maximize this this core players of of Colombia right now.
1: Well, first off, uh, given the way that the United States has looked while trying to kind of implement a semi similar system, uh, it does not sound elementary to me at all uh, because it seems <laughs> fairly complicated. If you take the uh, the U.S. men's national team into the uh, equation, but I, I did want to ask you. So that's a, that's a, like a fascinating tactical breakdown. I have not seen the game in full. I've seen highlights and I've seen clips, and it feels like sort of the narrative has been uh, Colombia turned like like found a way to get two goals in the second half. First half, they did a lot of like physical fouling, some kicking, things like that. So, is that the case? Like, do you think that's part of the kind of limiting any type of service that you get overly physical, or is that just because it's Lionel Messi and he tends to draw fouls?
2: Well. Yeah, I think in the first half, the the, the aggressors, and, and and again, this is not being me being you know biased at all. I think Argentina, they were the first ones that really started to to, to impose themselves physically, um, and and that's very that's to me that's standard Argentina or really any type of South American team in the first opening minutes. Like you watch Uruguay, they'll they'll muscle anyone you know to just kind of stabilize their tactics and and kind of impose themselves on on an opponent. And the first half I thought, you know, there were some questionable falls from, from, from Paredes, um, several tackles from, from, from Rodriguez and Colombia. in the end, listen, I felt like the ref kind of let that go. And it was a matter of time before someone kind of went overboard. And so, the, the 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 one thing that's crucial to this is that the one player that was tasked with marking Lionel Messi which was Wil Wilmar Barrios who plays for Zenit in in Russia he didn't follow him one, once in the entire game and so he he was still around him he 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 out physicaled him um, he kind of harassed him a little bit when, when Messi did make a run and kind of, and, and it looked like he was going to score worldly. He megged Davinson Sanchez got in the box and was about to shoot. And the guy that was there to clean it up was Barrios. But there were other players that took their shots at Messi. Um and Messi said after the game when they asked him about just kinda of having Barrios like in his pocket all day and and and, and, and other defenders and midfielders kinda of taking you know kicking out his ankles and things like that, he was he was like, That's how it is in South America. He was clear. He wasn't he didn't criticize anyone, he's like, This is how it is when I come back and play in South America. Um and, and he kinda of quickly turned the page to, you know, they, they need to, you know, look forward to the next opponent. So I felt like both teams tested each other physically, tested the referee as well. Um, and you know, when Cuadrado took out Messi caros quickly took him out of the game it was like automatic he was not going to let that mm-hmm. linger because it was a matter of time before someone went after quarter hour or quarter hour kind of lost his head and and, and you get an American advantage so there, there it was a physical match mm-hmm. um but if you go back to the tactic and you look at argentina they have a lot of work to do you know when, when there are a lot of journalists right now in argentina breaking down what happened and you look at it and you look at a team that's what the difference between the two clubs you look at you know, you look at one country like Colombia, who's in, a, in, a, in the evolution of a project and a, and a process that began eight years ago. And then you have Argentina that has it has taken an interim coach to to a Copa America, seven players that were on the field that started that had never played in a Copa America. And there if you, you just search on Twitter and there are a lot of breakdowns of the back four being completely out of like no cohesion in the back four. Uh, players pressing when they shouldn't. Uh, two defensive midfielders instead of you know kind of being one in front of the other when they're building from the back to get options they're kind of sitting in the same line and it was just really simple for Colombia to press them and so they ha- they tactically have a lot of work to do and, and I guess you can say that that's expected when you have a new coach and new players and you're you're quote unquote re- rebuilding but I thought Colombia really took advantage of that they found the weaknesses and and they attacked them.
1: So I think you've you've sort of already answered this, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, right now, Colombia top of the group, Group B, uh, with three points, Argentina bottom, no points, Paraguay, Qatar, each with one point. They drew their first game. I want to talk about that game in a second. But I did want to ask you, like, given what Colombia did to find success against uh, Argentina, do you think that's something that maybe Paraguay and Qatar could replicate? As in, do you think Argentina are in trouble getting out of this group. I mean, uh, some third-place teams are going through, so maybe not that yeah. much trouble, but like, do you think this is the case that Argentina may have to really rethink some things uh, in preparation for their final two group stage games, or is it more so Colombia have uh, like that next-level talent that can cause problems for Argentina, and it should be business as usual in their final two group stage games for Argentina?
2: So quickly about colombia because when i was i I spent a lot of time watching argentine television after the match to hear what they were saying and and it was hard for them they had to kind of swallow their pride and say right now colombia is better than us they have better players they have better individual players at every single position they have everyone is starting essentially starting on or playing in a in a, a big european club which is let me tell you, honestly, has never happened before, ever, ever. Anytime when Colombia has competed with Argentina, it's been you know one or two players that were able to kind of level the playing field, um, or you know just a, a bad night for Argentina. And so in Argentina, that's what they're saying. They're they're being blown. They're like, let's let's be honest. They're better than us right now. Um, but I think Argentina. It's funny because I feel like if they were playing Qatar next. I would be concerned for them because it's like that trap match. It's like they have to win and they're playing against a team that they don't know very well. Um, and so that their next game is against Paraguay, which I think will suit them. I think, our, I think Argentina will is, is expected to make some changes and be a lot more aggressive. I think Di Maria will, will come off the field. He just was, he did nothing. He was shut down by, by a, a right fullback for Colombia that hasn't been on the national team for over a year. And he's playing in Liga MX with Monterrey, Stefan Medina, and he just completely took Di Maria out of the game. And then uh, a player, De I think like his first name is Gustavo De He came on and he looked he looked pretty dangerous on on that left side. He's a right footed player, but he was pretty dangerous. So he's expected to start. I think they'll be much more aggressive. They're not going to come out and and play, do what they did against Colombia, which they really sat and watched, kind of like exp- they gave the game away, like really really quickly and i think they're playing a paraguay team with a new coach an argentine and Bariso. Um, paraguay for years has been kind of one of those teams that also can out physical anybody will play long and just kind of kind of lump it forward and, and and chase and and now you know with miguel almarone there um and, and a couple of other technical and creative players they're a team that they want to keep the ball they want to you know, be creative, be attack oriented, but they're still kind of struggling to, to find their identity. So I think it's ripe for Argentina to, to to impose themselves and and, and win that game and and set themselves up for uh, the third match against Qatar, which they'll have confidence and, and they should be able to beat. But um, ask me about Qatar because I have plenty to say about them. They're not a, a, just a walkover team.
1: I, I will ask you about them, but first I wanted to mention Paraguay briefly. Uh, you mentioned Paraguay. Yeah. You mentioned Miguel Almiron. Uh, they drew 2-2 with Qatar. I don't really know what to make of that, sure. uh, but I do believe <laughs> uh, that Paraguay never dropped points when Miguel Almiron was playing for Atlanta United. So I'm wondering how much you blame uh, the English Premier League for this kind of uh, <laughs> failure to get all three points from Paraguay.
2: Yeah, I mean, he looked really good. He looked like a player that, that obviously belongs in, in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when he comes back to play for his country, he's he's one of those, you know, marquee players. Uh, he's not the captain. He doesn't have to – Miguel Almarone isn't a player that has to wear the armband to, to feel like he's a leader of the team. And he looked like a guy that's just like he – was, he was exuberant when they would score. He's just like a kid out there playing, you know. And um, he looked really good. I felt like he was kind of that, like – more of a, a, a ten, the same like atypical ten that, that Tata Martino referred to when he when he was asked about him. In fact, it was a question for me when I asked like, "How what kind of number ten is Miguel Amaron for Atlanta United?" And Tata Martino said he's an atypical ten because he can create, he can build, play, he can score, but he can also defend. And so there were a couple of instances where where he made like lung busting runs from his from Qatar's box. All the way to, to his own box to shut down a, a Conor. It was it was just fascinating to watch. So he's still the same Miguel Almirón. Uh, that match was was crazy, you know, because they they took a two nothing lead Paraguay, right. um, and but the the first second the, the first two zero lead they had 2-0 two two, two leads at one point in that game, and the first one was was ruled out with VAR, which I have I have yet to find a good angle that. Convinces me that the VAR should have ruled out that goal. Um, so I, I think in the end, when a lot of people were asking why are the Paraguayan players so upset at the end of the, when the final whistle was blown, I think they were still complaining about that call, which would have put them up two nil um, really early too. You know, would have really would have controlled that game. But in the end, they still took a two nothing lead and they blew it. You know, they Qatar came back um, and, and and tied that game and left with a point. And so I think Qatar. Is, is really an interesting story. The traditionalist in me is like, why is Qatar in the Copa America? You know, you can complain. I've, I've complained internally. Like, I'd rather see Mexico and the U.S. in Copa America, but uh, here we are talking about the Asian champions playing yeah. in Copa America. So that's, it's nothing to, you know, to, to really you know, to, to shake your head about. Like, this is a good team. Um, and I think what's interesting is that their manager is a Spanish manager who came from Barcelona's La Masia. He's a youth development guru um, who's kind of schooled in that same type of of intellectual type of uh, soccer, you know, education and terminology that Catos comes from. And he's taking these players that, if you look at them, they're not they don't look exceptional. You know, they have a couple of good players that look good on the ball. Their number ten is good, but overall, they're I mean, no disrespect, but they're pretty average internationals. But they are so smart and, and they're always in well-positioned. And you can tell there's like a, a philosophy in place of keeping the ball, numerical advantages, and 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 attacking, brave attacking. And so this is a team that even though when they were down 2 nothing they never looked like they were out of it, which is completely different from when I watched Uruguay and Ecuador. As soon as the second goal went in for Uruguay, Ecuador was just You know, shoulders down, heads down, and they were done. And Qatar never looked like that. They were like – they just kept attacking like it was still 0-0. And so they're a team that I think can play with anybody. I don't think they're going to beat a lot of teams necessarily. They might lose all three games, you know, but I think they'll put a lot of teams under pressure. Um, And you'll see this team later, like as we get close to whether whether or not this next World Cup is in Qatar, I think we're going to find out soon. But uh, that's going to be a team that – is going to continue to evolve. They've, they've spent the money in coaching and, 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 and they look good. They look like a team that, that knows how to play.
1: That's that's really, really interesting because I feel like the tendency when you're a new or like smaller uh, nation to a tournament is to go defensive, to go physical and try to outwork your opponent. So, so to hear that Qatar is sort of embracing more of like a possession attacking philosophy is pretty fascinating and I do hope they go with it uh, even if that means they lose all three. I'd like to see them try to go at some opponents. Uh, obviously, I guess the goal being to get some experience for that potential hosting of the 2022 World Cup. We shall see. Um, But I wanted to talk about some other teams, aside from uh, all the ones in Group B, I believe it was. Um, Let's talk Uruguay for a second, because uh, thus far Mm -hmm. it does feel like... Aside from that Colombia result against Argentina, it's been a little bit business as usual. Brazil, Uruguay, Chile, all kind of running out to comfortable leads. Uh, so let's start with Uruguay's win over Ecuador. Uh, 4-0 there. It, I was excited to see Nico Lodero uh, doing things, oh, yeah. making some plays. Uh, what did you make of Uruguay against uh, Ecuador?
2: Uh, they looked like the tournament favorite. I mean, if, they, if if they were hosting, they would be hands down tournament favorite but because the, the host country is brazil i think people will continue to kind of propel them and, and put them at the top of the favorites list but uruguay you know even before the cup i was at a having conversations here in that line with people and i'm like that's the team that i just would not want to face because cup america for years has never it's not always this like flashy technical and creative term sometimes it's just it's one with like pure physicality and and the games are ugly and and, and whoever just kind of out muscles and out kicks can, can advance and and moments of brilliance, you know, like tight games where you just need like your, your number nine to come through, you know, that's Uruguay. They have it. They have exceptional players all over the field. They have a manager that has been their manager for decades and understands how the, like kind of the culture and the philosophy of Uruguayan football has, it's never changed, even though the the players come and go and, and, and they also begun ha, have evolved and, and most of their starters are now european-based players it's still when they when they put on that blue that like light blue shirt the black shorts and the black socks it's like it's uruguay you know and they, they can they'll, they'll match up with anybody they don't fear anybody and now they have the killer instinct of luis suarez with his brand new knee um, and he's, he's very motivated to play. And, and, and and I think that that was his criticism that he he got this, you know, he he got his knee repaired to play for Uruguay. Um, And, and your point about Nico Lodero, he, he looked exceptional. He looked like a a, a classic number 10 that was just, you know, in the midfield on the ball, finding space, very vertical, very attack oriented. And he scored at this point, probably the goal of the tournament, just a, a, a beautiful, Goal in the box where he brought it down with his chest. I, th- I don't think the ball hit the ground. He, he might have like popped it up once with his left foot, then he volleyed it into the corner. It, just a, a great performance overall. He, I mean, Ecuador looked like they had no business being on the same field with the Uruguay. So I think Uruguay is going to get out of that group fairly easily, and they will be feared throughout the Copa America. There's no doubt.
1: I was excited to see uh, Oscar Tabarez is still managing Uruguay because, uh, yeah. like he's as you said, he's been there for decades, but I, I've Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought there were reports last summer uh, after like mm-hmm. one year ago were eliminated that he was going to have to step down due to health concerns, that he is still there. Uh, I'm assuming means good things and makes me very happy.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a legend and, and there were reports that he was going to step down, that they kind of underperformed and, and it would, maybe it was time for a change. But, uh, you know, it, it's, he's still there and, and I think he's, he's revered in that country and, and obviously the players still... Play for them. They' he's the kind of manager that they, they will run through walls and run through fire for, 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 for Oscar Tavares, but also for just the shirt. You know they know what they're representing. Uh, I mean remember, it's like I'm, I'm sitting here doing this interview from Puerto Rico and it's about the same size as Uruguay. It's mm-hmm. insane that this country continues to produce the quality that they have um, and, and they just kind of reboot and, and, and go out there and play. Their game and they just kind of asked their opponents like you know are you are you down are you we're gonna face you we're gonna go at you um, and, and they really put Ecuador away early um, and and I think that'll continue I think they're going to be that team in this tournament that uh, will play with the confidence of a team that's expected to win it.
1: You mentioned that Uruguay uh, know what they're representing. They're a team that know what they're representing. Uh, I'm assuming that's the same with Chile, uh, given that we keep thinking that each tournament is like the last hurrah for their uh, golden generation, but here they are beating Japan 4-0 in their opener with a lot of the same faces. What are your expectations for Chile at this Copa America?
2: Man, I, I, I knew you were going to ask me this, and I, I, I actually spent more time reading about Chile and, and the, the match against Japan than any other kind of match in preparation for the interview and it's funny because yeah it's their golden generation they're still there uh the, the one of the hottest seats in south america for their you know colombian coach uh renaldo who was very well respected in south america um you know he he was he was i think when when the the open job after peckerman left Colombia, he was one of the candidates and i think he wanted that job so he's well respected he just hasn't really produce for Chile. And, 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 even in Chile, I don't think they put a lot of the blame on him. It's like one of those countries where the blame is placed almost solely on the players, on underperforming players, on the generation. Um, even though they won the back-to-back Copa Americas, it's like, is the, is it time for them to go? So they, I think they have a lot to prove they they're kind of playing with that chip on their shoulder, but with Chile, you just, you don't know what you're going to get. You really don't. Even with that great, you know generation that's still there with Alexis Sanchez and uh Vidal uh, Vargas like they 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 feel like they can probably play with anybody but even against Japan if you go back and kind of read what happened the 4-0 scoreline was a bit deceiving according to a lot of people a lot of the papers in, in Santiago um you know Japan which isn't the the strongest Japanese team that we've ever seen was was right there. You know, they're, they're another Asian team that can cause a lot of problems they are very fast, they're very technical, they're very organized. And it looks like they did a lot of the Chile's goals came from some, some, some nice, either like a counterattack or some you know kind of opportunistic build up play on the box, but it wasn't, they didn't just completely dominate Japan. And so Chile to me is a team that when I was looking at them, I'm like, I can, I can see them advancing and causing some trouble. Um, but you're not sure exactly what the mentality of this team game to game. And, and, and that is a that is an absolute indictment on on the players more so than Chilean football or their current manager or the Federation. It's some of these players have been called out for not performing um, and everyone knows that they can. So I think for Chile, it's going to be a game to game type of situation. Like how how locked in are they? Um, how motivated are they? And, I mean, they look pretty motivated, obviously, with a 4 nothing win. That's going to help them. But I think you, you, it's a wait-and-see with, with Chile always.
1: I, I can't say I'm entirely surprised by that summary of Chile because they have Alexis Sanchez, who comes mm-hmm. out and scores a goal, gets an assist against Japan. Uh, obviously did not necessarily do that for Manchester United regularly this season. Is he basically trolling United fans at this point? Is that kind of what this <laughs> tournament's all about for him?
2: Probably. I mean, he needs a big tournament. He needs, he needs the confidence. He obviously the player that that's lacking confidence and, and his move to Manchester United was anything short of a disaster. And so he's, he's still very well-respected in Chile. He's a player that, that is expected to do well. Like, but it was funny because before Copa America, he was one of the guys that was, he was a, that kind of on the fringe of like on that. He was the outside looking in, you know, a lot of managers, want the players to be playing. Um, and but I think it was always going to be difficult to, to, to not include Alexi Sanchez in, in a Copa America, but mm-hmm. you weren't sure which Sanchez you're going to get, which Alexi are we getting? Is he going to be rusty? Is he going to be, you know, the, the kind of the dangerous guy that probably never should have left Bar- Bar- Barcelona um, or he, is he the player that's kind of searching for his confidence Um, you know, after not playing for Manchester United. And I think he he looks like a guy that wants, you know, he wants to prove everybody wrong. And sometimes maybe that's what Chile needs, you know, after winning everything Um, and and then, but also underperforming at the same time, not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. Um, Maybe this is what they need when everyone is kind of pointing at them and like not expecting much, uh, they can kind of surprise some people.
1: All right. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I did want to ask you, is there an argument to be made that uh, losing Neymar is what Brazil needed? Uh, Because obviously he will not be participating in this uh, competition, gets the injury before it kicks off. Brazil then go out, get their 3-0 win in the opener against Bolivia. Uh, I'm wondering what your expectations are for this Brazil team uh, without Neymar. And do they kind of perform more as a unit without him?
2: I think it's especially if you look at the first half against Bolivia. Anyone that was like they're gonna they're gonna be better without Neymar was was probably eating their words mm-hmm. and and hiding behind their laptop because they <laughs> were bad. They just did not have any kind of creativity. There was no one on the pitch that when the ball was at their feet, you know, you could feel the crowd get up or even defenders kind of panic and backpedal. Um, you know, David Neres, the the young player from the Mayaks has taken on that role and he was really brave. He was, he was always going one V one. He's a left footed, footed, you know, kind of winger that that's very technical and, and really can take anybody on. He showed that in the champions league as well, but they don't, it's, he's not Neymar. You know, I think, I think what Brazil might, what might actually appreciate is not having the Neymar circus around the national team. Mm -hmm. You know, that's much different from not having him, you know, tactically and being able to depend on, on a player of his quality and his, his caliber really, but it's the the, kind of the distraction that is Neymar, uh, the, the, the inevitable drama on the pitch, the, the injury that he'll, he'll always kind of pick up, uh, and I'm putting the air quotes an injury, um, that kind of can can change a game. That can either put a, an opponent, make an opponent feel like we've got him. You know, we've got Neymar rolling around, and his team is flustered because they want to defend him. Um, or, which is what happened, which in my opinion was their downfall in the 2014 World Cup. As soon as he was kind of kneed in the back and taken out of against Colombia and he couldn't play against Germany. It was as if he had passed away. It was insane. Like they're holding up his Jersey during the national anthem. It's like, what are we going to do without Neymar? And then the Germans were just smell blood Mm -hmm. and completely destroyed them. So I think it's, it might be a blessing to your point that he's not there, but I don't think it'll be tactical because I think he's still too good of a player to just be like, hey, we don't need Neymar, um, but maybe the team grows without him, and 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 new players step up, like I like I mentioned, Neres and Richard Lillson, you know, the, the 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 player from Everton who was given this opportunity and, and started ahead of Gabriel Jesus, um, and, and played well, played well against Bolivia, um, and and again, Brazil has everything, it, it, everything on that bench to win this Copa America. They're at home, you know, as soon as they. As soon as the the fans show up and and take less selfies and kind of cheer for Brazil, which is that was a critique coming out of um, Brazil that the, pri- the the ticket prices are so high that the fans that are going are kind of the the cool crowd, if you will, and and not the the, the real passionate national team supporters. So, um, but yeah, I think they're strong defensively. They have one of the best goalkeepers, obviously, in the world the uh, Tite is a very good coach and they're well coached. Uh, they just struggled against a Bolivia team that was going to defend with 10. Um, and it wasn't until kind of a, a VAR type of penalty that opened up the floodgates and then they started to dominate.
1: All right. But if Brazil struggle, if Argentina don't turn it around, then it's fair to assume that we maybe have one slightly less heralded team make a deep run. So my final, final question for you uh, is, is there one kind of dark horse team that you think could make a deep run, and could it be Venezuela so that I could feel slightly better about the USA's uh, 3-0 destruction?
2: <laughs> uh, possibly, yes. It could be Venezuela. I think Venezuela's issue is that they have the talent, it's one of their best generations ever, it's the mentality. They have a great coach too, by the way. I love Rafael Dudamel. Um, but he is still kind of, he's he's pretty conservative as a manager. And I think they still need to cro- jump that hurdle of like being the team that you is isn't expected to win. And maybe it's just expected to cause problems and kind of squeak by with the result. And being a team that's on the field and it's like, we're going to come at you. We have the strikers. We have the creative players. We have a phenomenal goal- young goalkeeper. And I just don't see that yet. I think there's still that team that's like, kind of playing to not lose and so I don't know if they have enough they don't score enough goals to to kind of make a deep run in the tournament and they're in Brazil's group and so that's going to be tough for them to get out. Same with Peru Peru is a lot of people would love to see Peru do well and they have one of the most technical teams in South America uh, another excellent coach and a process and a project that's growing but they sometimes struggle to get past opponents and score and put teams away and so that's another team that would probably be a dark horse, but I, I'm not sure how they're going to do in that group. And so I, I think it'll be look like a, a it, the the heavy hitters should go through, and I, I am mean, including Colombia, not because they are at Brazil or Argentina's level, but because they have the quality to get through and make a run. Um, and, and aside from that, like there, it's not just a tournament full of excellent teams. There are a lot of teams, like I said, that are building. Um, rebuilding, new managers, younger players, and so for me, it, it, it's it, it's kind of a toss-up. That's why I put Uruguay and Brazil automatic. They should get through. Colombia now should be expected to to continue to play well, and then the it's like, can you call Argentina a dark horse? I, I mean, maybe considering that they lost their first game, and they have an interim coach, and the, the no one is behind them in their in their own country. And so maybe they can kind of turn it around and, and start to you know, change the minds of, of the very critical Argentines.
1: Well, if they do, or if anybody else makes that run, or if anybody else crashes out, uh, hopefully you will be able to come back on and talk to us about it. Uh, maybe also talk to us a little bit about uh, Mexico as the Gold Cup uh, continues. But Felipe, uh, one more time, if people want to uh, read more of your stuff, uh, follow you, how can they do so?
2: Yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Felipe Carr. Um, and then be sure to follow the athletic soccer at the athletic S C C R. Uh, that's where you'll find all my stories. Uh, like you mentioned, like I'm still covering Atlanta United, they obviously MLS is on a break. Uh, but that is still my beat. Um, but like all, all of the staff writers for the Athletic Soccer now, we're kind of just spreading our wings and covering MLS in general. So you'll find, hopefully, I'll get more stories of those, just MLS stories. And, yes, I'll be covering Mexico throughout the Gold Cup and and featuring, you know, some of their younger players and, and tactics around, you know, what Tata Martino is doing because it didn't take him long to to establish an identity and a philosophy for, for El Tri. There
1: we go. Well, Felipe, safe travel home, safe trip to Colorado, and thank you to your family. Well, thank you to you, but also thank you to your family for uh, g- giving you the time on vacation to come talk to me for a while.
2: My pleasure, Taylor, and shout out to Daryl. Tell said hello.